Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. June the 9th of 1950, one of the major newspapers in central Illinois called the Daily Pantograph ran this headline on its front page, search skid row flop houses for heir to British fortune. As you read through the article, let me read you a little section of it. It said, the flop houses and saloons of Chicago's Skid Row were searched today for one Stanley William McKenna Walker, 50 years old, an Oxford graduate and heir to, an, to half an $8 million English estate. The missing person's detail hoped that someone among the down and outers who lined the curbs and sleep off wine binges in the cheap hotels, they would find Walker, son of a wealthy British shipbuilder. All of his family except Walker and a brother were killed during the war in the Liverpool Blitz. The brothers became the sole heirs. So here's this guy. It's a real story. This, this was not just run in this newspaper. This was run in newspapers all throughout the Midwest. This guy was living on the streets, homeless, while at the same time, he's an heir to half of an $8 million British estate in 1950. Well, they finally found him later that year. Dead in a doorway of one of those cheap hotels. How sad, how tragic that Stanley Walker died never knowing who he really was. And unfortunately, that is the reality for many followers of Jesus today. You are living in this world like a spiritual beggar, having no idea who you really are in Christ. You are missing out on the power and the freedom, and the joy, and the abundance of a life drawing on the resources of Christ. And that is exactly what Paul is addressing in the opening chapter of his letter to the church 
in Ephesus. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to open it or click it on and scroll to Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we are as a church family studying straight through this New Testament letter that Paul wrote to these Christians in the first century. We started last weekend by looking at the the opening of chapter 1, and I gave you an identity statement that I want to put back up on the screen, and I want you to say it out loud with me. This is a 30,000-foot view of the first chapter of this letter. Let's read it. One, two, three. In Christ, I am a loved, accepted child of the Father, and who I am is who I am in Him. That is who, listen, that's not who you're here trying to become today. That's not what you're trying to earn. That's not a standing you're trying to achieve. In Christ today, you are a loved, accepted child of the Father, and who you are is who you are in Him. And one of the greatest things I said last weekend that could happen to any follower of Jesus is that you would begin to see yourself the way God. God sees you. And throughout this first chapter, that's what Paul is doing. Paul is teaching us about who we are in Christ. And that's why this series that we're in for several weeks, just in these first few verses of chapter 1, we've entitled Knowing Who You Are. We want you to understand who you are in Christ. We started last weekend by looking at some truth in verse 3. I want to read it to you again because I want, there's a couple of things I want to add before we jump into the next section. So look at verse 3. Paul writes and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. That's important. It's already done. With, say it out loud, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's who you already are. You have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Last weekend, I gave you a definition of a spiritual blessing. This is important because all this chapter is going to list all these blessings that we have in Christ. So we need to know what a spiritual blessing is. Here's a definition. A spiritual blessing is an unending Positional privilege of God's grace to those who are in Christ. Let me unpack a couple of those words in the definition. First of all, it's unending. Here's what that means. These things that Paul are saying about you and I as followers of Jesus are things that are eternal. Here's what that means. They are true today, but they're not just true today. They are also true tomorrow. And they're not just true tomorrow. They are also true on Tuesday. And they're also true next Sunday. And they're also true next month and next year and the year after that. Why? Because these things that Paul are saying about us here in this text of Scripture are truths that are unending today. You are a loved, accepted child of the Father. Guess what? Tomorrow, you're a loved, accepted child of the Father. Guess what? Next Sunday, you're a loved, accepted child of the Father. Guess what? Next year, you're a loved, accepted child of the Father, and it's unending. Secondly, these are positional truths. Here's what that means. These things are true about you because of your position in Christ, but they're not necessarily all practically true in your life yet. They're true positionally. For example, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 1. When Paul says we're saints, that's a positional truth, right? It's how God now sees me. God sees me as holy. 
Now, my wife was in the first service. If we let her have the microphone, she would say, that's not true practically about me, right? (laughs) That around the house, she's not saying, hey, saint, how are you doing, right? No, because practically what's true about me positionally is still being worked out in my life practically. But these truths are true about us, and they're who we are in Christ. And by faith, as we appropriate them to our lives, they begin to be practically worked out in us. Here's the third thing. These are privileges. Here's what that means. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to work for them. You don't deserve them. You don't obtain them by spiritual effort and activity. There's not one thing you had to do this week to earn the love and acceptance of God. There's no performance that you had to give to merit God's grace. We have been given these things by grace through faith in Christ. And it's simply who we are. But as important as it is that we understand what spiritual blessings are, in the day and age that we live in, it's also important that you understand what they are not. So let me tell you a couple of things spiritual blessings are not. Number one, spiritual blessings are not material possessions. Regardless of what you hear from a smiling preacher on television, or regardless what you may hear from somebody promoting their business on social media who's equating God's favor with material possessions, okay? Spiritual blessings are not material possessions, meaning spiritual blessing, the fact that we've been given them doesn't mean that there'll be more money in your bank account. It doesn't mean you'll have a bigger house. It doesn't mean you'll drive newer cars. It doesn't mean that you'll have a booming portfolio that accelerates your retirement. Now, does that mean God never blesses us in a material way? Absolutely not. There are times when God blesses us in a material way. But when the Bible is talking about these spiritual blessings, he's not talking about material possessions. And if you equate them to material possessions, you'll walk in discouragement thinking, wait a minute, I'm not getting in on some of this when it's not true about us materially it's true about us spiritually let me show you an example of this from scripture second corinthians chapter 8 look at this the bible says now brethren we wish to make known to you the grace of god which has been given in the churches of macedonia let me paraphrase that for you paul's writing and he says hey i'm about to tell you how god has poured out his grace on the churches in macedonia what do they have That in a great deal of, say this word out loud. You're telling me they're experiencing the pouring out of the grace of God? And they have a great deal of affliction? Their abundance of joy. Okay, There's something good. They got joy. And they're deep what? Paul said, let me tell you. I'm about to tell you about the grace that's been poured out on these. Let me tell you what they got. Affliction and poverty. That doesn't go good with the 1-800 number where you're supposed to send your checks, right? Sometimes the grace of God doesn't look like material possession. But here's what it'll give us. It'll give us joy in the midst of affliction and poverty. 
That's spiritual blessing. I'll tell you the second thing, they're not. Spiritual blessings are not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Here's what I mean by that. Spiritual blessings and the fact that we've already been given them doesn't mean you'll never have conflict with your neighbor. It doesn't mean that you may never lose your job. It doesn't mean that you'll never have problems in your marriage. It doesn't mean that you'll never have a wayward child. You see, what they would have us to believe is, because we've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing, if you just have enough faith, you could get out of all of that. You could play your get-out-of-jail-free card, which is your faith. How's that working out for you? You see, if that's how you get in on the material, on these spiritual blessings, then it's about your performance that you get them versus God's grace that you've been given them. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Peter writes in 1 Peter, and he says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't you think for a second you've got to get out of jail free card? Let me tell you what you got. You got an enemy. We have an enemy. And he's seeking to devour us. That means there's going to be difficult times. There's going to be struggle. Let me tell you the third thing it does to me. Spiritual blessings are not your best life now. It's not your best life. Listen, this is not my best life. Now, my best life's coming. But it's not here and now. You see, being in Christ doesn't mean your team always wins. Being in Christ doesn't mean you never get sick. Being in Christ doesn't mean you never get discouraged. And being in Christ doesn't mean your texts are always filled with this emoji. Right? Being in Christ. Listen, there's a lot of days that's not the emoji, right? There's some other ones we could put up there, but that's not the one we're feeling. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Listen to what Jesus said. These things, this is from the lips of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you so that, say this out loud, in me you may have what? In me, in Christ, we got peace. In the world you have what? So where are you? Are you in Christ? Amen? Yes, that's okay. I'm not tricking you, all right? You're in Christ? Yes. But you're also in the world. And he says, if you're in the world, you're going to have some tribulation. The word tribulation comes from a root word, which means to squeeze or to crush. And it's describing what comes out. It's, it's, it's a distress and a despondency that comes out when life begins to squeeze us. Jesus said, in me, you got peace. Now, in the world... There's going to be some life circumstances that squeeze. But here's what he said. Even in the midst of the world, you're in me so you can have peace in the midst of tribulation. But it doesn't mean the absence of tribulation. Now, that day's coming. When he comes again, he's going to, then we're just going to be in him in heaven. We're not going to be in the world anymore, right? And then it'll be what, what we then will experience the best that God has. But that's, that's not, So, you got to understand what spiritual blessings are, but you also need to know what they're not. They're not material possessions. They're not a get-out-of-jail-free card. They're not your best life now. They are unending positional privileges of God's grace that are ours in 
Christ. If you got all that, say amen. amen. Let's move on to the next section of verses. We're going to this morning go to verses 4 to 6. See, we're moving fast now. We did one verse last week. We're doing three verses this week. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Mind blown right there. Amen. That we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Out of those verses, I want to begin to list for you these spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And let me say before I even begin to list them, we are wading out this morning into some deep water concerning truths from Scripture. But these truths are given to us to encourage us and to comfort us as we dig into them this morning. So, so listen carefully, listen completely all the way to the end, all right? Here's the first one that he gives us. We are chosen. I want you to say that out loud with me. We are chosen. Did you hear it in verse number four? Just as he chose us. If you were here last weekend, I told you that from verse 3 all the way to verse 14 in chapter 1 is the single longest sentence in the entire Greek New Testament, which is the language the New Testament was originally written in. This is the single longest sentence in the entire New Testament. And this phrase, he chose us, is the most important important phrase in the entire sentence. So when we read this phrase, he chose us, we're reading the most important phrase in the single longest sentence in the entire Greek New Testament. You say, well, why is it the most important phrase? I'm going to give you two reasons why. They're a little bit in the weeds, but just hear me out. Number one, because of the adverb that introduces it. He opens verse 4 by saying, just as he chose us in him. In the Greek language, that little phrase, just as, is an adverb. It is describing or modifying the verb. What verb? He's describing why we were chosen. Look what it says. What he said. So, so you can literally translate this adverb with the words because or since or just as or inasmuch. Hear it that way. Listen. What did he just say? We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Why? Because he chose us. Here's what that means. The basis for all of the blessings that we enjoy in Christ is he chose us. All of our standing in Christ and all of our having been blessed, the basis of all of it is that he chose us. So it's not only the adverb that points backward to verse 3, but it's this verb, he chose us, and how it's used in this sentence. This verb, he chose us, in the Greek language, that's one word. We translate it as he chose us, but in the Greek language, it's one big super verb. In this sentence, he chose us, is the only stand-alone verb in the entire sentence. Here's what that means. 
Every other verb you read in chapter 1 is in a dependent clause, meaning if you were diagramming the sentence, and that brings back horrific nightmares to all of us from English, right? But if you were diagramming the sentence, everything else he's saying in this sentence hangs from the verb, he chose us, meaning this, I am forgiven. He's going to talk about it, but I am forgiven because he chose me. I am redeemed, and he's going to talk about it, but I'm redeemed because he chose me. I am adopted into the family of God, but I'm adopted because he chose me. I now have an inheritance that's awaiting me in heaven, but I have an inheritance because he chose me. Everything else he's going to say is rooted and grounded in this phrase, he chose us. So it's important that we understand it. So the bulk of what I'm going to say this morning is going to be wrapped up in this idea, we are chosen. Here's the point. I am a loved and accepted child of the Father. I am His, and He is mine. And ultimately, that is because God, in His sovereign grace, has set His heart on me. It's not because of anything that I have done, but because of everything that he has done. Let me show you a paraphrase of verse 4 from Eugene Peterson's The Message. I love his paraphrase on verse 4. Look at this. Look what he says. Long before. That right there ought to make us go, what is he about to say? Long before. He laid down earth's foundations. He had us in his mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. No wonder Fanny Crosby said, to God be the glory, great things he has done. You say, why is this so important? Here's why it's important. I am a loved and accepted child of God, not because of what I did. I am a loved and accepted child of God because of what he did. I didn't earn my way into the love of God. Here's what that means. I can't earn my way out of it either. Let me show it to you. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes and he says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? It's as if Paul's sitting around thinking about this one day. The word separate is a word that means, it comes from a root word that means to create space. And he's, he's thinking about what is it that would put distance between me and Jesus as God's love for me. So he runs through the list. Well, tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul said, I'll tell you what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. This is an important phrase. Nor what? Any other, say that out loud. Created what? Thing. Let me ask you a question. Are you a created thing? Yeah, right? We all have been made by him. Here's what that means. Paul's saying, I can't even separate myself. I can't create any space between me and the love of God. Why? Because I didn't earn my way in. I can't earn my way out. 
I'm secure in Christ. John MacArthur writes about these truths of God's sovereignty and our responsibility in a way that I I think helps bring some clarity. Listen to what he said. It is not that God's sovereign election or predestination eliminates man's choice in faith. Divine sovereignty and human response are integral and inseparable parts of salvation. Though exactly how they operate together, only the infinite mind of God knows. God's sovereign election and man's exercise of responsibility in choosing Jesus Christ seem opposite and irreconcilable truths. And from our limited human perspective, they are opposite and irreconcilable. That's why so many earnest, well-meaning Christians throughout the history of the church have floundered to try, uh, trying to reconcile them. Since the problem cannot be resolved by our finite minds, the result is always to compromise one truth in favor of the other or to weaken both by trying to take a position somewhere in between them. We should let the mystery remain, believing both truths completely and leaving the harmonizing of them to God. Is it true That today as I preach the word of God, that I believe with all of my heart that through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, whosoever will may come, absolutely I believe that. I believe with all of my heart today as I stand here and preach the gospel that Christ died for the sins of the world. But I also believe that I stand here today a saved, blood-bought, redeemed child of God, not because I chose him, but because he chose me. Some would say, some would say, Pastor, if you believe that man must respond in order to be saved, it diminishes God's sovereignty. I would say the opposite. I believe God is so sovereign that within the scope of his sovereignty, he's allowed human beings the freedom of responsibility, and it has not affected his sovereignty. Try to imagine it this way. This idea of our responsibility and God's sovereignty are like, Spurgeon says, they're like two rails of a train track. When you stand on a train track and you look at the two rails of the track, they're parallel, meaning they're never going to touch. They're opposite. But when you look down the track, As far as you can see, it's as if those rails come together. In time, God's sovereignty and man, as I stand here in time, they appear to be irreconcilable truth. But as I look up in eternity, in the mind and heart of the God who made us, they are woven together in the grace of Almighty God. God. And so here's what I would encourage us today with. I would encourage us, don't focus on debating the mystery of these truths. Rest in the security of these truths. Rest today. Listen, if you're here today and you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can rest today that you have been chosen in him. And you can today rest if you have someone that you know that's lost, you can know that God said, his son to die for the sins of the world and whosoever will may come rest in the biblical truths that God 
has given us. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. Everybody all right so far? All right, let's dig a little deeper because Paul unpacks this. Verse 4, he chose us in him. That tells us, number one, who chose us? He did. In the English language, we only for verbs have a, uh, the voices we have are active and passive. The subject receives the action. The subject uh, is passive. The subject's doing the action. That's active. In the Greek language, they have a third voice called the middle voice. Here's how you could literally translate this because this verb's in the middle voice. You could say it like this. He himself chose us. One scholar said it this way. The point is that if God had not taken the initiative, no one, no one would have his everlasting presence and life. You see, left to myself, I would have never discovered the grace of Jesus. Left to myself, I would have never understood the conviction of my sin. Left to myself, I would have never realized what it meant to be separated from God. Left to myself, I would have never seen the substitutionary atonement that Christ stood in my place. But that's why the songwriter says, when I could not come to where he was, he came to me. John said it this way in his gospel, quoting Jesus. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. There are some Christians who struggle with doubting their salvation. There are some Christians who are always struggling with doubting their salvation. Here's why God gave us this truth. So that you can rest in the security of knowing. Listen, it didn't start with you. He chose you. Rest. You say, can you explain that? I just did as good as I can. (laughs) Spurgeon, another picture he gave us that I thought so beautiful. Spurgeon said, it's almost as if the outside of the gate of heaven says, whosoever will may come. And when you walk through and look back on the inside, on the inside it says, just as I chose us, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We find comfort in these truths. But it doesn't just tell us who chose us, it tells us when we were chosen. Look what he says. Just as he chose us in him <laughs> before the foundation of the world. The word foundation is a word that means the act of starting something at the very beginning. When you put this phrase of the world onto it, it's talking about the beginning of beginnings. It's talking about Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's what Paul says before that. Before that, God chose. Us. John Piper said it this way Your salvation did not begin with your choice to believe in Christ. A choice which was real and necessary. Your salvation began before the creation of the universe. 
when God planned the history of redemption, ordained the death and the resurrection of his son, and chose you to be his own through Christ. This is a great objective ground for assurance, and we should consider it deeply. Before the foundation of the world. Number three, it tells us why we were chosen. Look up. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That we would be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless are two words that are all very, very similar. They describe this idea of purity without blemish, without spot, being set apart. And the two implications are this, because he said he chose us that we would be this. It's a state of being. It's who we are. God's sovereign grace has forever changed my standing before God. I am today positionally holy, right with God because of Christ. But now God's sovereign grace is constantly, practically changing the way I live before men. What is true about me positionally, I am in Christ. He's now working out in my life practically as God sees me today, as God sees you today. You are holy and you are blameless. But now by his sovereign grace he's working out that holiness and blamelessness in your life that's why Paul wrote this in Romans 8 he said and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose what's his purpose for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren God is using everything in our lives now to work out practically what is true about us positionally that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless we are chosen let me tell you a second thing we are adopted we're adopted look at verse 5 he predestined us to Adoption. Oh, adoption is such a beautiful picture. Adoption is a legal proceeding that establishes a parent-child relationship between persons not related by blood. Here's what that means. In Christ, you and I have become a part of a family to which we did not originally belong. You weren't born into this world as a part of the family of God, but by God's sovereign grace, now I am a part. I've been adopted into the family. And this principle of adoption speaks to several things. First of all, it speaks again to the sovereignty of God. That's why the verse says, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Let me try to illustrate that with a story. My, my dad pastored for years and years in the states of Alabama and Tennessee, and now he travels and preaches all over the country about 46 weeks a year. He's preaching somewhere. One of his good friends in ministry in Alabama was a pastor named Dotson Nelson. Dotson Nelson was pastoring in a very rural community where everything was, this is years ago, everything was safe and kids kind of run wherever they want to run. And he, he had this one family in his church that had adopted a little boy. And the little boy was now in elementary school and nobody had ever told him that he'd been adopted. They were waiting to have that conversation with him when they felt like it was the right time to explain to him. So this little boy is now 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, somewhere in that window. And he's at school, and some of the other kids at school found out that he'd been adopted. 
And they started to ridicule him and to make fun of him. Your mom and daddy didn't want you. Blah, 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 blah. They just running him down. Well, it crushes. You can, it crushes this little boy. So he runs out of school. He runs up the street. He runs to his house. He runs through the living room. He runs up the stairs. He slams the door shut. And he won't let his parents in. Locks the door. And he's just sobbing inside. Mom and dad try to get him to come out, try to get him to open the door, won't do it. They call their pastor, Dotson Nelson, and he goes over to the house, and he goes up, sits a chair outside the door, and he just begins to talk to the little boy through the door for a while. Finally, the little boy opens the door and just quickly shuts it behind the pastor once the pastor is in, won't let mom and dad in, but the pastor and he are sitting in there, and they talk for a little while. And the little boy recounts the story of what had happened, and he's crying, and he's emotional, and Dotson looks at him and he says, you got it all wrong, son. He said, what do you mean? He said, you see, all the other boys and girls at school, when their mom and dad had them, they just got stuck with what they got. (laughs) Your mom and dad chose you out of every boy and girl on planet Earth. And as soon as he heard it, man, he sat up straight. A big smile came across his face. He ran to the door. He swung the door open. He ran straight by his parents. He ran down the stairs. He ran through the living room. He ran out the front door. He ran straight back to school. He ran to the front of the classroom, pushed the teacher aside, said, I have something to tell you. When your parents had you... They got stuck with what they got. But my mom and dad chose me out of all the boys and girls on planet Earth. Listen, listen. You and I have been adopted into the family of God. In eternity past, before the first sunrise, God set his heart on you. And you are now a part of the family of God. But listen. It doesn't just speak to the sovereignty of God. Adoption speaks to the generosity of God. Look what it says. He predestined us to adoption as sons. Did you know in the United States of America, when you adopt a child legally, you can get rid of your biological kids a whole lot easier than you could ever get rid of a kid you adopted. The the legal standing of your adopted child is so high in the eyes of the court. The standing that we've been given in the eyes of God is we are adopted as sons. Here's what that means. We are now heirs to the inheritance of God. And the Bible lays it on thick and says that we are joint heirs with Christ. Here's what that means. You and I get the same share of the inheritance that Jesus gets. All that belongs to him belongs to me adoption speaks to the generosity of God thirdly adoption speaks to intimacy with God look at the verse he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ don't miss this to himself it's important you see adoption is designed to bring us to God in order that we might enjoy fellowship with him Meaning this, God did not in his sovereign grace set his heart on you and bring you to him so that you could do something for him or even so that he could do something through you. God in his infinite sovereign grace brought you to himself 
so that you could be with him. Paul wrote it in another place. Listen what he said. Romans 8. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out. Say this word. Abba. We don't use it a lot in English. The words in English that would be the equivalent of this word is the word Papa or Daddy. God, before the foundation of the world, so loved you that he set his heart on you. And has now redeemed you so that you can go into his presence. I'm talking about the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The presence of the alpha and the omega. The presence of the one that has no beginning and no ending. The presence of the one who spoke everything we can see, taste, touch, feel, and experience. The presence of the one that created it all. We can walk into his presence. Papa. Daddy. And approach him intimately. Adoption. Here's the last thing. Well, let me show you this quote by William McDonald. I thought he said it best. He said, while we may hesitate to use such familiar English words when addressing God, the truth remains that he who is infinitely high is also intimately nigh. God is big. God is holy. But God is approachable by his children. And that leads me to the last thing I want to say out of these verses. We're chosen. We're adopted. But finally, we are loved, accepted, and favored. To be honest with you, I couldn't decide which word said it best, so I just stuck all three in there. Because they're really all wrapped up in this phrase in verse 6, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved today you are loved by God and you are as loved today as you will ever be because you are right with him in Christ you don't have to earn that but you're not just loved you're accepted you're favored here's what that means you didn't have to do one thing this week to earn God's love You didn't have to do one thing this week to earn God's acceptance. You didn't have to do one thing to earn God's favor. It is yours in Christ by grace. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are loved. We are accepted. We are favored. These are unending positional truths by the grace of God that are ours in Christ let's pray this morning Father I pray in the name of Jesus that as only you can in this moment God that you would speak Lord that you would take these truths and 
Lord, allow them to sink deep into who we are. As you sit here this morning before the Lord, I want to give you a moment to just marinate, for lack of any better word, to marinate in the truths that you've heard today. you're already a Christian you just think on these things if you're not a follower of Jesus yet let me talk to you you say what about me here's what I know to be true about you the Bible says for God so loved the world that means you God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever you whoever whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life here's what that means today you can put your faith and trust in Jesus and you can be born again into the family of God by grace you can be given Sonship By grace, you can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. You simply respond in repentance and faith. You turn from your sin and you trust Christ. And today, you can be saved. The scripture says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If today, you would like to experience God's grace and forgiveness and give your life to Christ... When we stand in just a moment, our team is going to lead us in a powerful hymn of the faith that reinforces these biblical truths that we've talked about this morning. But we have pastors that are here at the front. If today you've never given your life to Jesus and you are ready to receive him as your Lord and Savior and become a part of his family, when we stand to sing, I'm going to invite you to just slip out from where you're going to be standing. The people around you would love to let you out. You just begin to move this way. You can even come now if you want to, but you can begin to move this way when we stand. Come to one of these pastors, and all you need to say is this, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God. Just come. That's all you got to do. Just come. For others today that are already Christians, these altars are going to be open. Maybe God's deeply, deeply spoken to you from his word today, and you just want to come be alone with God on an altar for a moment. Or maybe there's a burden on your heart that you'd like to pray with a pastor about. Something in your job, your health, your family, relationship. Our pastors are here. We'd be honored to pray with you and for you. You just come. God, today, would you have your way? Lord, as only you can, would you speak these truths? God, would you bring conviction to those that don't know Jesus? Would they respond in faith today and embrace your gospel? Lord, we love you. And we thank you for these wonderful truths, even the ones that we can't fully grasp and understand. We thank you that you love us infinitely. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.